I can't see anybody. Can you see me, Miss Mills? Ha, that's me recently interviewing the great Stephanie Mills. And the reason that question, can you see me, is wild, is that of course she sees me. Stephanie Mills has been seeing me, seeing us, and knowing us and singing to and with us since she was in kindergarten. On this episode of Your Black Girl Songbook, we're talking to Stephanie Mills about her life and work. We're talking about the original Broadway production of The Wiz. And we're talking about one of the most beloved Black girl anthems ever. A song that has been sung by everyone from Whitney Houston to Beyonce to Jasmine Sullivan and many more. We're talking about home. You know the song. When I think of home, I think of a place where love's overflowing. Home is that standard song that folks sing, but somehow home continues to go under-recognized as the classic that it is. We've talked about standard songs on your Black Girl Songbook. A standard is a quote-unquote musical composition of established popularity considered a part of the standard repertoire of one or several genres, end quote. A standard is a part of the American songbook. But home, our home, it's even more than that. Home is a song, but it's also a trial by fire. The emotions of home must be conveyed. They must be translated. The notes must be reached. The cadence has got to be there. It can feel very much like in order to be a great vocalist, you have to get through home. And home was originally sung by Stephanie Mills. It is her signature work. No one has topped her version of home. And they never will. Hello, hoping you are well and I'm sending love your way. I'm Danielle Smith, author and host of Black Girl Songbook, the place where Black women in music receive the credit that we are due. I am the author of the brand new Shine Bright, a very personal history of Black women in pop. I hope you have seen it. I hope you have bought it. I hope you have read it. I hope you have checked it out from your local library. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're getting something from it. I write a lot about the Wiz in Shine Bright. It's a huge part of Black culture. The Wiz debuted at Broadway's Majestic Theater on January 5th, 1975, just two months before Stephanie Mills' 18th birthday. And we are, as I said, going to speak with Stephanie Mills on this episode of your Black Girl Songbook. 
Stephanie Mills was 17 years old when she opened, though the program, the Playbill, listed her at 15, making her sound, of course, like even more of the prodigy that she was. There are so many great songs in The Wiz. Ease on down the road. Don't nobody bring me no bad news. Oh my God, the song with the lion. There's so many. And so many of us know those songs. It's just so many of us have seen a production of The Wiz. So many of us have been in productions of The Wiz. I know all of the songs by heart because I was in a production of The Wiz. I really did play The Good Witch of the South in my high school's production of The Wiz. I couldn't reach any of the high notes. I am not a singer. I love to listen. I love to learn. I love to enjoy. But I am not a singer. But I went for it because it was The Wiz. I wanted to be a part of, so I portrayed Adderpearl. That's the way to the Emerald City. Now, that's not too far, is it? Go take your dilemma, child, and lay it on the wizard. Really, I was a hot mess and remain one. I didn't hit one high note, but that's really the charm of Adderpearl. That's the character's name. She greets Dorothy when she lands, having been swept up in a hurricane. Adderpearl is the goofy witch next to the way more sophisticated Glinda the Good. My niece Parker portrayed Dorothy in her nursery school production of The Wiz. They didn't do the whole thing. They just did the hits. But whatever you were in The Wiz, in the audience, in the cast, or in the crew, it's safe to say that you love it. And one of the main reasons is because Home is just really that song. It's sung twice in the play. It means one thing toward the beginning of the play, and it takes on a more deeper meaning toward the end of the play. When Dorothy begins to reassess Home, not just as this place that she's been swept away from, But when she realizes what a deeper meaning just the idea of home is, not the specific place, whether it be Harlem or Kansas or wherever, the song just, we're going to talk about it more to the lyrics. I can barely speak the lyrics without getting emotional. When she starts talking about, oof, let me not read too much. We're too early in the show for me to start weeping. But when she sings about, I've had my mind spun around in space, yet I've watched it growing, Charlie Smalls, the songwriter, we're going to speak to Stephanie Mills about Charlie Smalls. The song rang off right at the time, 75, 76, 77, 78, When so many of the singers that we love were coming of age. So let's just think about 1983. That's the year that I graduated from high school. And a young woman, her name was Whitney Houston. She made her television debut 
before her first album was even released on a late-night television program called The Merv Griffin Show. Griffin was like, I don't know, like the Jimmy Kimmel of his era? And what song did young Whitney Houston choose to sing the first time she was ever presented to a huge broadcast audience? Whitney Houston sang home from The Wiz, the play, and the musical film. We're talking about the play today, though, that lives deep in the hearts of so many American Black people. She's got it. She got it. Wait till you hear it. Here's Whitney Houston. I wish we could play the entire performance because, of course, she nails it. But I really am quite anxious to get to Stephanie Mills, who was really gracious with her time for a Black Girl Songbook, really gracious with her memories. Because, one, she's on tour with Patti LaBelle and Gladys Knight selling out arenas around the country. She's a favorite. Man, she is just a Black girl songbook champion. Like her soprano, her mezzo-soprano, there's something about it that is so specific. It's just really kind of unctuous and really kind of elastic. And she's always, it feels always, no matter how high she goes, how broad she goes, how low she can go, no matter if she's giving you something danceable and mid-tempo or giving you like ballad on ballad on ballad, she's always in control of it. She doesn't seem to be walking into her notes hoping to get as high or as strong as she wants to be. You can feel that confidence in her voice that comes from singing to packed houses like the Apollo from when she was damn near a baby to then doing eight shows a week in small parts on Broadway to then being plucked from relative obscurity to portray Dorothy, our Dorothy, in The Wiz. When you have to sing eight, like, eight shows a week and you have to hit not just the people in the orchestra seats but the people in the back and the people in the nosebleeds have to hear you man that's just a kind of training that almost cannot be replicated and it's one of the reasons that Stephanie Mills is our Stephanie Mills Stephanie Mills, hello, you are a favorite of mine. You know this. 
and obviously a favorite of so many people over the last, I'm not going to say how many years, let's just say so many. Yeah, so I'm many years. I don't mind the years. Okay, good. So for over 40 years, like just yes. so much. And we could sit here and we could talk about uh, here on Black Girl Songbook, the place where Black women in music uh, receive the credit that they are due. We could talk about Stephanie Mills's recording career all day long. The many, many uh great singles like we could do a whole show on never knew love like this before and oh, and it, know. we could The joy in that record, just the pure, unadulterated joy. The song, Never Knew Love Like This Before, is written by James M. Tume, who died just this January of 2022. Written by James M. Tume and Reggie Lucas, who died in 2018. M. Tume played with Miles Davis, but is best remembered for his 1983. Man, listen. We all know 1983's Juicy Fruit. Juicy Fruit was a number one R&B single. But do you remember that there was a female vocalist that was a lead singer of M2 May, someone whose name we never really remember or rarely discuss because the group was named M2 May after James M2 May. No shots, it's just facts. But that lead singer is the brilliant Tawatha A.G. Man, listen. Juicy was sampled for Biggie's 1994 culture-altering Juicy. I'm just giving you some context and trying to connect some dots. Reggie Lucas also played with Miles Davis and went on to produce most of Madonna's first album. So you see where all of this bopness and like, mm, 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 is coming from in Stephanie Mills's Never Knew Love Like This Before. And what's wild about Never Knew Love Like This Before from Reggie Lucas and Stephanie Mills is that the song is about the birth of Reggie Lucas's daughter. Lisa Lucas, she's right on Instagram and Twitter. She is the publisher at Pantheon and Shock and Books. A lovely woman. I know her. That's why I never knew love like this before has that kind of Stevie Wonder, isn't she lovely energy. Do you feel how Stephanie Mills is just translating that? And what a gift that is to be able to just convey that type of emotion? Never Knew Love Like This is your biggest hit, Stephanie. Number six on the pop charts. The song won two Grammys for Best R&B Song and for Best R&B Performance Female. I know you know this, Stephanie Mills, but I'm just saying, you beat Jermaine Jackson's excellent, my favorite, Let's Get Serious and Fall in Love, come on. Stephanie Mills, you beat the Manhattan's massive shining star. You could not move without hearing that song. You are my shining star. Don't you go away. I told y'all I could not sing. And what about George Benson's Give Me the Night? Seriously, I admire George Benson, but that song was too much on the radio. 
It was too much on the radio. And then, Stephanie Mills, you beat Diana Ross's number one pop hit. Upside down? Upside down. Boy, you're turning me inside out. That song, Never Knew Love Like This, just truly rings off. Oh, I know. But but what we are celebrating today is the song Home. Mm. We're celebrating Home because it means so much to so many people. And very specifically, it means so much to Black women and also to Black women vocalists, Black women vocalists of the highest order. Yes. Can you even tell us, like, when did you first know about the song, Stephanie Mills? Mm, I was 17 years old. Charlie Smalls wrote all the music to The Wiz, and he personally taught me my songs. So Home was, it was the answer to Somewhere Over the Rainbow. You know, Judy Garland had Somewhere Over the Rainbow, and I had Home. I love Somewhere Over the Rainbow so much. Somewhere Over the Rainbow also captured the imagination of many Black vocalists. Just like Ella Fitzgerald, for example, in this delicious 1960 version. Somewhere over the rainbow. Mm, She sounds hella good. There's Ray Charles's version too. He sang it with Johnny Mathis. It's from Ray Charles's very last album, 2004's Genius Loves Company. The album won eight Grammys, including Album of the Year. Here's Mr. Charles and Mr. Mathis. Somewhere over the rainbow. Right? How do they sound but perfect? And Patti LaBelle's versions are beyond classic material. LaBelle recorded Somewhere Over the Rainbow at least twice. There's the one from the time she was the leader of Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells. It's from 1965. She loves that record. I wonder, like, what is it somewhere over the rainbow, way up high? There's a place that I heard of once in a lullaby. Don't get me to talking about how that song feels like the place, right, is freedom and fairness. because. That's why I love the song so much. I think that's one of the reasons it captures the imagination of so many Black vocalists. It's just like a place that you heard of once in a lullaby. That place called Shit is Fair over there. Things are right and fair 
and equality is there for all of the races and the genders. And I don't think I'm going too far with it at all. It really has that similar sentiment of Stephanie Mills's home. It's all of a piece, really. Getting as a Black person, as a Black woman, getting to a safe and warm and wonderful, peaceful place. Ms. Mills, your song, Home, it's just... It was about this young girl going on this journey uh, to find out that she really had brains, she had a heart, and she had courage by meeting the lion, the tin man, and the scarecrow. They all taught her that she already had what she needed. So going back home was very important to her because that's where her roots were. And that's where most Black people, their roots were. And the people in uh, Buffalo, New York, they didn't make it home that day. I think about that. When I Mm. sing my song today, I think about George Floyd. I think about all the Black people that didn't make it home and did nothing not to make it home. They were just minding their business, going along their daily. Those people were in that store shopping, minding their business. Buying groceries. Buying groceries. Buying groceries to take home. To take home. To take home. To take home. To fix for their children, their family. There's something I think about, too. If you didn't come up with a lot, if you didn't uh, have a lot of money when you're growing up, The grocery store can be a bit of a stressful place. Like I'm stretching my pennies. I'm trying to make sure everybody's fed. But when you have that moment, right, where your money is right and you're at the grocery store, it can just feel so good, right? Oh, it feels so good that you don't have to look at the price. What, how much is this? Can I afford this? Speak to the cash register. I've been in the store where some people have gotten to the cash register and they started putting things back. And I'd like, no, don't put that back. I'll pay for that. You know what I'm saying? Don't put it back. You Obviously, you wanted it or you needed it. Keep it. I, I got you. But that's how we should do. I feel like that's how we should do I know you came up in Brooklyn. Yes. And Brooklyn, in that era, let's just say the late 60s, early 70s, Brooklyn was a very, very, very black space. Am I wrong? In the Bedford-Stuyvesant neighborhood, back then, do or die, Bed-Stuy, the gentrifying setting of Spike Lee's 1989, Do the Right Thing, it was the second largest black community in the country after the south side of Chicago? Yes, you're right. And my mother came up from the South and we moved there. My mother was a very, very, very black mom. And she was very, took, she took no prisoners. Don't mess with her children. You know, she, she was, my mother was my hero and I was a mama's girl. I was always with my mother. In fact, my mother traveled with me until I was like 23 when I first married Jeffrey. Yes. Jeffrey Daniel of Shalimar. So my mother was always there. I know that when you when you were starting out and going on auditions, there just weren't a lot of Black people on Broadway, were there? No, and there still isn't. Nothing hasn't changed. Mm. You know, we think 
you know, in 2022, things should be different, but nothing has not, it hasn't changed. And I, and I, and I got really bad reviews for being on Broadway and doing Dorothy and, and the, and the Wiz wasn't my first Broadway show. My first Broadway show was Maggie Flynn. Okay. So Ms. Mills, wait, let me just say a few things about the Wiz. I've probably said on this episode of Black Girl Songbook already about 16 times that it's my favorite musical ever. And I've seen a lot of them. I just went to see the Pretty Woman musical in Hollywood like last week. I've appeared in musical productions of not just The Wiz, but also The Music Man, Fiddler on the Roof. I might have been in HMS Pinafore. I know I attended all the rehearsals of Oliver because my sister was in it. So I can say unequivocally that The Wiz is the tippy top. It is the best and the most perfect musical ever. It is blackness, like... Follow the Yellow Brick Road? Yes, a cute song. But I'm trying to ease on down the road. I am trying to ease on down. You got to understand where the whiz came from. Let's just... er, Late 1960s. A Juilliard-educated piano prodigy named Charlie Smalls, he was working on the road with artists like Queen Esther Marrow and Sammy Davis Jr. So that's what he was doing, playing piano on the road. At the same time, there was an ad producer slash comics writer named William Brown. He was easing into the life of a playwright. There was also a sometime soap opera actor and sometime radio exec named Ken Harper, who had been nursing a big idea. Harper went to Smalls and Brown with an idea, a request. He wanted them to, quote, create an adaptation of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, but with black slang, and an all-black cast, end quote. So listen, if you're just out here playing piano for Sammy Davis Jr. on the road, and you're just really trying hard to get out of writing comic books and really into writing plays for Broadway, this request must have sparked some energy. In the 60s and the early 70s, When Black creativity was just jumping off, Motown was popping. We we were about to head into disco. Just rewrite The Wizard of Oz as something Black. Let me tell you something. They took a cherished all-white story about overcoming fears and turned it into a story about the Black American dream of the home that we never had. That's why Stephanie Mills' home rings off like it does. That's why home, when I think of home, I think of a place. That's why we love it the way that we do. The Wiz won seven Tony Awards 
on eight nominations. And the magnetism of Stephanie Dorothea Mills is central to it all. Can you believe that that's her actual given name? It's like destiny. Her middle name is Dorothea. And she becomes our Dorothy because we are very much, I acknowledge the movie on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but I'm here for the original Broadway production of The Wiz. You got to understand how The Wiz changed so much. Like The Wiz, the play, which opened in 75, is a kind of proof of Black humanity precursor to The Cosby Show, which debuted six years after The Wiz opened on Broadway because it was playing to multicultural audiences and all over the country, not just in New York. After it was so successful in New York, it went on the road and it proved because, you know, as Black creatives, we always have to prove that our stories are quote-unquote universal or that the quote-unquote larger audience will buy into them. So The Wiz did that work. The Wiz opened on Broadway as a pop product, and it was envisioned as such from the earliest stages. Let me quote an executive from back then, from 20th Century Fox. 20th Century Fox had backed The Wiz show basically for first option on a film version. This executive, and I'm quoting, said, The Wiz is as black as Fiddler on the Roof is Jewish, end quote. I love Fiddler on the Roof. It's a pop product. It conveys Jewish culture, but everybody could see themselves in it. Not all of the Broadway experiments with multiculturalism were so on point. Which brings us to the 1968 musical, Maggie Flynn. It's a strange show. It's like with the white lady and the orphan children of slaves. And the reason I bring up Maggie Flynn is because you appeared in that show as a very young child. Yeah, it was Maggie Flynn with the late with Shirley Jones and the late Jack Cassidy. Yes. And um you experience I've experienced racism all the I experience racism all the time. Oh, even now, traveling, going into a store, dealing with people. It's a different, it's different. Nothing has changed. It's nothing has changed. People think that things have changed. No. Look at what's happening in our world. And, and we're in our own neighborhoods, minding our own business. Why would you want to go into a grocery store on a Saturday that's crowded and kill innocent people that have not done anything to you? If he was a black man, he would have been dead. Terrorism. We're being terrorized in our own country no, every I, single day. I mean, it's, it's true. It's nothing but true. And when I think, as you say, I don't know... 
I don't know how much things have really, really changed when you were just mentioning how you got those bad reviews, even from the New York Times about the whiz. Yes, they said I was ugly and Judy Garland should get up out of her grave and slap me. Oh, it was awful. But I didn't I don't pay attention to that. I don't pay attention to negativity. I never uh, glorify or give any credence to negativity. Well, what was it? Because I know I've read that you weren't at the first round of auditions for The Wiz, but you were at the second round at Wiz director Jeffrey Holder's house. You know, it's so funny because I had gone up for a lot of things that I didn't want to audition for The Wiz. My mother made me go down and I auditioned uh, for them and I sang uh, Who's Loving You. Don't you know how I sit around with my head? From the Miracles, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, and the Jackson 5. And for once in my life. And then, and how can Harper heard me? Uh, I had a record out at the time called I Knew It Was Love on Paramount Records. That's how they heard of you. Okay. That song from 1975, I Knew It Was Love, is the precursor to home. That's what we know now. That's what we know. It's from your debut album, Moving in the Right Direction is the name of the album. So let's listen right now to just a little bit of I Knew It Was Love from Stephanie Mills. And Ken Harper, who was the producer of The Wiz, was a DJ. And he heard the record and wanted me to come down and audition. And I auditioned about three times. The the second two times was at uh, Mr. Holder's house. And did you sing the same songs or were you giving lines or? I I just had to read lines. And they showed me pictures of what Dorothy was going to look like and everything. And then the final day, he told me that he wanted me to be Dorothy. How did you feel? I didn't really know how to feel. I mean, I was 17 years old. I loved to sing. And I was like, okay. I didn't really know the impact of it. But I loved watching it every Easter on on television. They did used to broadcast The Wizard of Oz on television each and every Easter. From 1959 to 1991. That was the only way you could see it. Back in the day, anyway. So then we went on and it lasted for five years. It really did. Five years on Broadway. Five. Played to deeply Black and multiracial audiences. And like I said, I'm going to repeat for emphasis. Then The Wiz went on tour nationally. That's how I saw it at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in downtown Los Angeles. The Wiz toured Japan, like a whole production, on the road, internationally. And you got to understand, The Wiz was on Broadway 
Man, the competition was fierce. Broadway was just rowdy with musicals at that time. This was the era of the big blockbuster musicals like Annie, for example. And a chorus line. One singular sensation, every little step she takes. One thrilling combination, every move that she makes. And the Wiz's success was in defiance of headlines like, just for one example, The New York Times January 1975 headline was The Wiz Misses. Oh, my response is, Misses what? It inspired so many of us to see you up there in your little gingham dress with the little apron and you had your hair in those little puffs. And you were really giving us life. Like, and we definitely have to talk some more about home. But when I think about you singing with the lion and you start singing, you're standing strong and tall. You're the greatest of them all. I mean, these songs, do you think that these great Broadway songs from the Wiz get the credit that they deserve? Absolutely not. And be a lion is my favorite song. Is it? I I love that song. It's my favorite song just because of that. When I say you're standing strong and tall, you're the bravest of them all. If on courage, you must call. then just keep on trying and trying and trying. And And that's what people have to do. It's like you never give up. Even when people told me I was over and I couldn't do this, and I I never believed that. And and when I go and speak to kids that want to be in theater, I tell them the same thing. Don't let people get in your head and make you think you cannot do. People have always, I mean, I've had people tell me I couldn't sing and that I should stop singing uh, R&B because dark-skinned girls wasn't going to, Uh, be popular anymore. I've had some crazy stuff told to me, but I never bought into it. How did you keep your strength? Was it God? Was it your mother? Was it God? It was God. It was my mother. And I had a praying mother. I had a praying family. It was my family and, and some of my friends around me. And I just, I've always been the kind of child that would say, you can't tell me what to do. I can do this. And my son is exactly like that. He's like, you can't tell me what, not to me. He's exactly like his mother. And I've always been that kind of child. Like when they say, well, Stephanie, you gotta, you have to uh, uh, sing it this way or sing it that way. I'm like, I'm singing it the way my voice is. Like I did, um, I did, who did, I did, what's that show? Oh my God, it was on Broadway. And Audrey McDonald won a- a, Which one? And I did it in Chicago for nine weeks. Was it ragtime in the late 1990s? Ragtime. It was ragtime. But they wanted me to sing a certain type of way. And I said, you hired me. You knew what I sound like. I can only sing the way I sing. Oh, I would love to hear you sing those songs from ragtime. Wheels of a Dream. Your Daddy's Son. Woo. Okay, Stephanie Mills, you have one of the the most distinctive voices to me in the history of R&B. There's never that moment where you hear a song and Stephanie Mills is singing and you say, oh, wait a minute, who is that? I can't, 
I can't, you know that it's Stephanie Mills. Is that training? Is that just your DNA? What is that that richness? I've just been blessed. God's given me a gift. What made you go on those auditions and want to become a Broadway star? That is such a specific dream. No, it wasn't for me. I didn't set out to be a star. I just like to sing. Even now, I love going on the road. We're on the road. I'm on the road till November. I love live performance. I love singing. I didn't, t- I didn't, I didn't say, oh, I'm going to be a Broadway star. Or I'm going to have hit records. I just love to sing. Do you remember what it was like the first time you sang home in front of an audience? I think it was in Baltimore. Baltimore. It was absolutely amazing. It Because home is a type of song that just makes you think of your home, your grandmother, your mother, good cooking. When I sing it now, there's so many people that are not here. So it, it it's personal for me. And when I went back and did it, I wanted to put an urban touch to it so that my audience could really relate to it when I went back and re-recorded it. And then I wrote the part of, uh, when I think of home, I think of a resting place. I love that whole entire intro. And to know now how you wrote it, it's like, how do you say it? When I think of home, I think of a resting place, a place where there's peace and serenity. And that's where some of my friends have gone friends who have traveled with me through my wonderful experience in Oz. Going back to me speaking right now, because I'm quoting from Stephanie Mills's introduction, the whiz is a triumph of imagination. Just the idea of Black people going to this otherworldly place, either really or metaphorically, with witches and talking scarecrows and a singing lion and a tin man in search of a heart, a leader who was just like, the emperor has no clothes. It just is just so strong and so beautiful. And for the time, so rare. But let's just go on ahead and listen to Stephanie Mills sing her song and just wait till you get towards the end, man, and listen to Stephanie Mills quote her fans. It's but one of many brilliant moments in a brilliant rendition. Let's listen to as much of home as we can right now before they turn off the lights. Donnie, I know you have us. I wanted people never to forget how powerful that song was. Now, that was intentional. That song is... And when you redid it, didn't you have take six on the background vocals too? Yes, I sure did. Man, listen, 
I love the original cast recording. I do produce for Atlantic Records by Jerry Wexler, who produced so much of Aretha Franklin's best music. But when you redid it, it's just amazing. The vocal conversation between you and the iconic gospel group, eight-time Grammy winners, Take Six, as the song closes, it's too much. Them going, when I think of home, when I think of home, and then you actually singing out. And I can hear my friends telling me, Stephanie, please sing our song. Literally, I could listen to it eight times a day and should. I have to ask you, though. I have to ask you, though. How is it now? I mean, you're on tour. How is it now? I know you sing the song every single time you go on stage. Every time. I could not get off that stage without singing home. Not at all. Not at all. It's emotional. I saw. It's from a 1990 article when you spoke with the Greensboro, North Carolina News and Record about the song. You said, and I'm quoting you right now, you said, when I was doing The Wiz, the lyrics only brought to mind leaving Tin Man, Scarecrow, Lion, and the fantasy world of Oz. I never planned to sing it again. But Ken Harper, producer of The Wiz, and Charlie Small, who wrote the songs, had just passed away. I'm still quoting you. And I, Stephanie Mills, decided to do it as a dedication to those dear friends. You said, I'm singing it to them. It seems that so many of the people who helped me get my start in the business are gone. People who were around me when I used to sing home every night in the theater. You said that gives the song a different and deeper meaning to me. End quote. It seems like the song just gets richer with time. Stronger with time. More deep with time. More beloved with time. In that same article, you also talked about all of the violence in the world. And this was 1990. You said you were compelled to remind people how wonderful home life is. Our country has been through so much. So singing home, I, I see people in tears. They're crying. They come up to the stage. They say that that's their favorite song. And it's soothing. It's, it's nurturing to them. It really is. And what do you think when you, when you see other vocalists singing it, when you, when you know that Beyonce sang it in a talent show when she was seven years old, um, so many people, Jasmine Sullivan, so many people just, they're touched by this record. And what I've noticed is so often when people cover other people's songs, they try to add a twist to it or give it something different on the vocal arrangement. But I feel like so often when people cover home, they're staying with your arrangement. Yes, they are. I mean, here's a bit of Beyonce Knowles at eight years old singing home in a talent show.
And here's Whitney Houston. This is a different version. We already heard at the top of the show Whitney Houston making her national broadcast television debut singing home. But she had it as a part of her set list often. And what we're about to hear is just a snatch of her live on stage at the three nights she performed in honor of Nelson Mandela. Back when him being out of prison was new. She did two nights in Durban and one in Cape Town. And Whitney Houston was feeling in a very newly unified South Africa, very at home. But I'll let her tell it. You know, um, I can't begin to tell you what my visit home truly means to me. I have been, as I told you before, I have been to Japan and I have seen the Japanese people in their land. I have been to China, I have seen the Chinese in their land. I have been to Italy, I've seen the Italians in theirs. I have been to Spain, I have seen the Spanish in theirs. I have finally come home to see my people. I look at you, I see me. Hopefully when you look at me, you see yourselves. express so I'll just sing it for you. When I think of home, I think of a place where there's love overflow. I do miss Whitney, but it does not stop with her, this song. But it does not stop with her. This song, Home, that Stephanie Mills, you blessed us with. I remember a 1995 episode of Martin when Tashina Arnold as Pam sang a part of Home when she, <laughs> when she and Gina, the great Tisha Campbell, sang for the Notorious B.I.G. A moment in 1999, at age 11, Jasmine Sullivan starred in a school production of The Wiz. Her performance of Home at Hill Elementary School in Philadelphia was uploaded to YouTube in 2009, the year after Sullivan's debut album, Fearless. Listen to Jasmine. And this may be I can She sounds incredible. She was 11 years old. Just Google it. You can see her in her little blue dress looking almost exactly like Stephanie Mills did every night on Broadway, holding hands with her tin man, holding hands with her scarecrow. As of May 2022, the Jasmine Sullivan clip 
has almost 1.7 million views. These are some of the best vocalists, like just esteemed vocalists. And they all take this song on. In 2010, when the Glee cast performed at the Obama White House for the Easter egg roll, Amber Riley, a.k.a. just Riley, sang home. Listen. Right? She hits it. And Barbara Streisand, Miss Streisand, recorded Home in 2012. just calling Charlie Smalls's and Stephanie Mills's home a standard? How does it not just have an absolutely prominent space in the American songbook? Because it's damn near on the cover of Black Girl Songbook. I adore Streisand and she gets there. But listen, the version from Micaela J. Rodriguez and Billy Porter, the way they sang home in a season one episode of Pose, it's another thing. It's actually every single thing. Listen. Stephanie Mills, your vocal arrangement is historic. It is indelible. They're staying with my arrangement. They are. And it's, it, you know, when you're, when I'm doing things, I don't, uh, I stay in the moment of what I'm doing. So I didn't pay attention to what's going around me a lot when I was doing The Wiz. But now that I'm older and I look back and I see that that Beyonce and Jasmine Sullivan and and Whitney Houston sang sang my song, I I feel that we did something right. We did something that every little black girl in America could say, I could do this. I could sing these type of songs. I could do that. And that did me well, especially when I went back and did the live version in 2015 and played on M. It was surreal. Yes. It was Wait, surreal. Talk about it. Talk about it. It was just like I wanted to pass the torch on and I passed it on to, to uh, Shanice. Here's just a bit of Shanice's lovely version.
and working with uh, Kenny Leon and, and, and David Alexander. Oh God, it was just such a, such a treat. But sometimes I must admit when he would say Dorothy, I would like be, huh? <laughs> I, had to, I had to like, no, you're not Dorothy in this one. So it was funny, but it was surreal. And I'm sorry that Ken Harper or Charlie Smalls was not there to see that. Charlie Smalls died in Belgium in 1987 from a cardiac arrest during emergency surgery for a his appendix burst. Charlie Smalls was 43 years old when he died. But George Faison... You know, George Faison is here, and I wish that they had used... George Faison as a choreographer because his choreography with the yellow brick road with impeccable was incredible. You said that Charlie Smalls taught you your songs and he taught you home. Did you uh, help Shanice as she was learning the record or did she already know it or? She already knew it. And I don't really think she wanted my help. You know, I think, I think she wanted to do and create the Dorothy that she wanted to do. And that was very important. So I, I laid back. I didn't try to tell her. I felt like, and, and some of the producers was like, Stephanie, can you help her with certain songs and stuff? And I said, if she comes to me, I will. But mm. if she doesn't, I'm going to let her create her own Dorothy. Yes, yes. But, and yours stands, though, as the, as the model. I remember the way The Wiz used to sell out, the way church groups used to buy um, yes. Passes and tickets, like buy out the whole theater. I know you remember yes. that. Yes. Ken Harper's mother belonged to a huge church. My mother belonged to a huge church in Brooklyn, Cornerstone Baptist Church. And they would bring busloads of people. Yes. Because when we first got there, our reviews was bad. They really were. And the show initially struggled. But then 20th Century Fox, who we mentioned earlier, that executive from 20th Century Fox. Fox funded Wiz television commercials featuring Stephanie Mills on stage and featuring white people in the audience. It's wild how this country works, is it not? This was the second ever national campaign for a Broadway show. And let me tell you, just like what would end up happening with the pilgrimages to New Orleans for the Essence Festival decades later, Black people back then in the mid-70s planned whole vacations around seeing The Wiz in New York City. And when the show toured, grassroots support for the show was organized and it was successful. I'm quoting somebody again. Let me go on ahead and quote jazz singer Dee Dee Bridgewater. In 2015, she said, and I'm quoting Miss Bridgewater because she portrayed Glinda the Good Witch in the Broadway production. But Bridgewater was remembering the whiz when she says, and I quote, there was a big push by producer Ken Harper, to bring in the African-American communities. Busloads of people, she said, from church groups and African-American organizations, end quote. I remember being a kid and knowing that, like, at the first time, and knowing that, like, 
a bunch of people from the first AME on Adams were going, or if people were in clubs um, or in Jack and Jill, or if it was just like a softball team, the parents of the, of the kids on the softball team were all putting our money together and buying a block of tickets. And we're all going to see the Wiz to support. And it wasn't just black people, as we say. The Wiz was precursor to the Cosby show. Night shows in New York City were pretty much 50-50 black-white. This isn't my opinion. This isn't my memory. I'm happy to send links. And many of the people in the seats, black or white, they were reporting the Wiz as their very first Broadway show. So the Wiz was responsible for bringing a whole new, younger, and multicultural audience to Broadway. They did not want us on Broadway. Mm. And so we had to, and it wasn't until we did the commercial yes. that the Wiz started pulling in and selling out. and everything. But they, they didn't want us there. They didn't want us there. And even now, they don't want, they don't want uh, uh, Black people on, on Broadway. I don't think so. No. It's, they call it the great white way, and I think that's how they want to keep it. I know, and it, they always say it doesn't mean what it sounds like. And I'm like, well, then stop saying it if you're being stop unclear. Exactly. Stop saying it. It's I, I, I really don't like the great white way at no, all. No, I don't like it either. I don't like it at all. I mean, apparently the term the great white way was popularized in the 1920s inspired apparently by all the electric white lights apparently on the theater marquees and billboard signs that illuminated the Times Square theater district area. Hmm. I am like whatever because I've been obviously much later in the 90s, 2000s, 2010s, etc. I've been in New York City's theater district zillions of times. Literally used to work. I used to work at 1515 Broadway. And it's not giving great white way at all, light-wise or people-wise. Even Whoopi Goldberg has called for a change of nickname for the Broadway district. Whoopi wants to call it the great bright way. Come on. I am here for it. Okay, okay, okay. But when you left Broadway, was it a shock to your system? I got older and started recording and going into that realm. I saw where it changed. That's where you wanted to be on the recording side of things? No, just how different it was and how much you really had to stick to what you wanted to do and not get sidetracked. Because at that time, when you're selling records and you're doing that, there's so many wolves around that's trying to change you and mold you into what they think you should be. And that's the problem with like your Britney Spears and, and people who get in our business who just mentally can't not have it. Because the one thing an artist has to really realize is that you're really just the dollar to everybody. There's going to be few people in between that really loves you, that really cares about you. And it's just Justin Bieber going through all, when I see these young people going through that, I know exactly what they're dealing with. 
And when you say you know exactly what they're dealing with, you're saying that people just view them as a commodity, like... Just view them as a commodity. They almost don't see you as being human. They just view you as how can we make the most money with this product? You are a product. You're no longer human. That's why Michael... And I, and, I, and I take it with Michael and, and Whitney, you can't take it. And if you don't stop, see, I stopped and I, I got rid of all my contracts, my recording contracts and stuff, because I had just had enough. And I said, I need to just go and live and, and stop and really figure out what I want to do and how I want to do it. But if you don't stop, you're going to crash and burn. And so many of us do that. So many gone. When I think about you just said those names, Michael and Whitney, and you can add Prince to that. Prince, yes. Yes. Because it's not what people think. And the hardest thing for you to realize is that nobody really cares about you. Very few people. And so you still love to sing, though. I feel like you're almost always on tour. I feel like your fans demand for you to be on tour because I will I refuse for the people to take my joy I live in Charlotte North Carolina I live a simple life you know and I uh I wanted to do things on my own terms whether it was popular or whether I made a certain amount of money none of that meant anything to me as long as I had peace and joy and even when I first got with Amp, my manager, I told him, I said, I want to go out on the road. I want to sing. I said, but only if it's going to be happy and peaceful. I said, if it's not, I'll stay home. You really have me with my mouth open right now, Stephanie Mills. You absolutely do. Because when I think about the things that you've done, uh, when I think about when you say I've done things my way, so then a thing that you've done your way are songs like I Feel Good All Over. Yes. Are songs like I Have Learned power to Respect love. the yes. Power of Love. Yes, that's that's was written by my good girlfriend, Miss Angela Winbush. Mm. Angela and I are sisters till this day. You know, we've we've our lives kind of parallel each other. We we have gone through the trenches and been in the trenches and come out. It's not where you've been, it's how you get through what you've been. It's like, it's not uh, how well you're living, it's how long you live well. I've been to your shows from way back when through recently. The people are screaming and crying, everybody's reminiscing. And then you sing home. I still feel like even with all the great music that you've made, the many musical partnerships that you've been a part of. You singing home, but I feel like the song Home Now belongs not just to Dorothy, but to Stephanie Mills herself. Yes, 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 yes. And that makes me feel wonderful. I feel so close, like Patty and, and, and Gladys and I are doing arenas. And people didn't think that we would be able to sell out arenas. And here we are. Mm. A Patty 77, a Pat a Gladys is 76, I'm 65. Here we are. We don't neither one of us have a record out. And here we are. We just did LA, the form, and sold it out. 
Now, someone, they, they were like, well, we don't know. See, because you can't listen to people. They don't know. They don't know what you can do. That's why I put all my faith in God. Because no one would think that we could go on the road and sell out arenas. But I don't understand how they would say that. I mean, I do understand. But I've seen Patty on tour. When she goes out by herself, she sells yeah. out all over the country and around the world. Yeah. Same for Gladys Knight and same yeah. for you. So I don't yeah. understand where the math would not be right that if the three of you got together, you wouldn't sell out a large amphitheater, arena, whatever. I am so happy that you had time for us today. I'm so happy that you talked to us about home. It just means so much to so many. Most of us can't hear it without being brought to tears, whoever is singing it. But it's when you sing it, Stephanie, that I do think we really know what the song is. Girl, it's too much because most of us have also been in productions of The Wiz. Right. Whether in nursery school or elementary school, high school, college, whatever, off, whatever. I was in one in high school. I was at a Pearl and please don't ask me. <laughs> don't ask me to sing my song because um, I was the mess and have no voice. They just let me in because they was kind. But, <laughs> but, but it's such a fun show. It's so it's fun. Cool. And people don't even know what it's like. Like we all know the words to um, ease on down the road. Yes. We all know that. Don't nobody they, bring me no bad, no news. bad news. Yes. All of these slide amazing some oil records. To me. Yes, slide, ooh, slide some oil to me. There's and the Lion Song we already spoke about. There's so many great records, so many great songs, so much great songwriting that doesn't get the credit it deserves. But no. I just want to be on record as seeing, and we want you to know, everybody here at Songbook wants you to know that it is your version. Is that is the blueprint. It is the blueprint that everybody follows, that everybody follows and that everybody responds to. So we thank you. I thank you. I thank you for having me. And I think that home, when I'm dead and gone, I, I hope that young Black girls will continue to sing it. They will put it on Broadway and and just let it live on forever and ever and ever and ever. Thank you, Stephanie Mills. Thank you. Wow. So beautiful to speak with the great Stephanie Mills, the legend and icon walking. Stephanie Mills, I just want to give a few more Wiz facts. The Wiz did win seven Tony Awards, including Best Musical. It was the first Black musical to do so and was just joined by the Jennifer Hudson produced A Strange Loop. So for many years, it was the only one. But what's wild is within those seven Tony Awards, Mills was not nominated for her Dorothy. This is why Black Girl Songbook exists. We are giving 
Stephanie Mills her Tony right now. By that, we're giving her five, one for each year she did it on Broadway. It's, 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 it's a cultural crime that Stephanie Mills does not have a Tony for that performance. It's, it's mean, actually. Those voters that listened, if they did, to her performance, and then didn't nominate, they heard, they heard her sing, and if you're listening, God, please don't make it hard to know if we should believe the things that we see, tell us, should we try to stay or should we run away or would it be better just to let things be? And she's singing this out in the 70s to people that desperately are, I know it wasn't just me because the song refuses to do anything but get bigger and better. When she sings living here in this brand new world might be a fantasy, but it's taught me to love. So it's real, real. It's so real to me. Even I'm doing <laughs> Stephanie Mills's vocal arrangement. That's how much impact it has had on the generations, the one that she's in and the ones after her. So we've just given her five Tonys or whatever is better than that. The Wiz won five Drama Desk Awards, including Outstanding Musical. Mills was nominated for Outstanding Actress but didn't win. In 1976, the soundtrack for the Broadway production won a Best Cast Show Album Grammy. It's now known as the Best Musical Theater Album Grammy. So, okay. Because she led that cast show album. It's not just home. Her song with the lion is for all time. We talked about it a little bit. You're the bravest of them all. If on courage you must call, then just keep on trying and trying and trying. Ooh, let me tell you the times that song has gotten me through her version. And I love her R&B. I could listen to that all day. I could listen to The Wiz, though, for a lifetime. Mills put in years embodying the role of our Dorothy. She laid the groundwork for big Black-centered shows like Dreamgirls, like Rent, like The Lion King. None of those shows would have had a place at the table without The Wiz. And just for history's sake, The Wiz wouldn't have had a place at the table without Shuffle Along. I'm going to need y'all to get your Googles on. And there's a great new book out about Shuffle Along called Footnote. 
Stephanie Mills was also one of the cool kids. Stephanie Mills was friends with Michael Jackson. Some say she dated Michael Jackson. Her husband, Jeffrey Daniel, taught Michael Jackson how to moonwalk. She's kicking it with Andy Warhol. There's a whole section in My Shine Bright, a very personal history of black women in pop that talks about how things kind of went down when it was decided that a movie would be made out of The Wiz. And she did not play Dorothy as we know in that version. She's our Dorothy and she has always led with that big and just shining, enchanting smile. It is a smile just that gives light. Between her smile and her voice, Stephanie Mills could guide home ships, Sonny. Or at least me from being lost at sea. Many, many thanks to Stephanie Mills. This is a dream. And the only way, and the only way to finish this season of Black Girl Songbook. Can you believe that we are at the end of season three? We thank you so much for hanging out with us and listening and learning and having a good time. Now, between seasons, you know that you can always find me in these Twitter and Instagram streets whenever at Danamo. That's D-A-N-A-M-O on both platforms. And now for the amazing Black Girl Songbook team. There is no show without these people, folks. And they're not just like turning dials and returning emails and they're teammates. They're teammates and they are creatives in their own right. And don't think that they save it all up for me and Black Girl Songbook. All these people do all kinds of work at all kinds of shows. I mean, you know, they know, of course, that Black Girl Songbook is the best. We know that. But they're not just turning dials. They believe in the premise of this show and in me. All tears aside, all tears aside, and speaking in nothing but joy, all tears aside, we have producer Trudy Joseph. The child's name is Gertrude. And I'm just gonna embarrass her by saying she's fantastic. She is one of the best among us. And as bright as her smile is, and as brilliant as she is, and even as amazing as Black Girl's songbook is, we have not yet even seen. Trudy knows that we have not yet even begun to see what she is going to do with her life and creativity and career. I don't even know what to say about Donnie because he tries to be quiet, but he's really not. His energy is very steady and steadying. 
He's organized and he's thorough and he gets it. I'm blessed to work with him. We have our story consultant, Tajani. I've known Taj since she was a baby in the game, and I do mean that literally. I think Taj was 20 when I met her. I think she was still at Syracuse. We worked at Vibe together. She was the intern. I was editor-in-chief. Taj is a genius girl. She, like Trudy and Donnie, are just at the beginning of their lives and culture. So let me continue to take you through our team because this is a season finale and we keeps it extra emotional over here at Black Girl Songbook, even when it's not that. We have DJ Steve Porter on sound design. He works with Donnie. They do all of the tricks and stuff like that. They make things sound amazing. They make sure all the songs are sliding in the way they're supposed to slide in. If you ever hear any special effects or anything like that, we have DJ Steve Porter on sound design. Our talent booker is the amazing Allison Turner. I like to think I have a great network and a broad reach, but let me tell you something, Stephanie Mills nor most anybody that you hear us working with on Black Girl Songbook for you would be on Black Girl Songbook if it was not for Allison Turner. On additional production supervision, we have Juliet Littman, Queen, and Chelsea Stark-Jones, Queen, Queen. Amanda Long, Queen, 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 is our amazing publicist. I'm not going to speak that much on Sean Fennessy because Sean and I have known each other since what feels like the dawn of time. We also work together at Vibe. Finn is one of the more amazing people that I know. Just brilliant and imaginative and a very human and fun even. Friend, yes, but also executive slash leader. And as I always say here on Black Girls on Book, Sean Fennessy is always nearby with advice and encouragement. Black Girls on Book is here for you on Spotify, via The Ringer, and wherever you listen to your podcast. This is the place, you know that this is the place. This is the place in the space where the creativity and talent of Black women always comes first. We pay homage to all Black women in music from the stage to the corner office. We make sure we are committed to and we love giving out credit where credit is due, just like we are doing on this episode with the great Stephanie Mills. Let's go out to a snatch of an amazing record from Stephanie Mills. I Feel Good All Over from 1987, written by the great singer-songwriter team, Black singer-songwriter team, Annette and Gabriel Hardiman. I Feel Good All Over from Stephanie Mills. I feel good. 